0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Roddenverse read-along analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your host Fran and welcome to the show. Today we continue our timeline journey with The Kane Chronicles, The Red Pyramid, Chapter 15, A Godly Birthday and Chapter 16, How Zia Lost Her Eyebrows, which are from Sadie's point of view. As always, I've got my points to focus on, so today we've got life experiences, magic systems, and generally what I thought of it. But to begin, here's the synopsis. Sadie, being the rebellious person she is, goes exploring and takes a dip into the memory of the gods and learns something rather valuable. When their test begins, things go awry from there and then take a rather dangerous turn. And that's kind of the overview for these two chapters. It's not as detailed because I've definitely missed a lot, but I don't want to put too much because there's a lot that happened, so having this synopsis as short as possible was quite hard. (laughs) But I've covered the basics going on, but thankfully we're going to be going deeper into this. So let's just get right on into it with chapter 15, A Godly Birthday. And this is the overview for chapter 15. Locked in a dormitory with young children, Sadie flees the room with a sneaky trick. Thinking back on her argument with Carter, Sadie ends up being unreasonable, but then we learn that things haven't been easy for her either. Entering the Hall of Ages, Sadie does exactly what she was told not to. She, she touches the images. Transported to a memory of the gods on Osiris's birthday, Sadie watches as Set tricks the king into being entrapped, in the same coffin that her dad was. Isis is is chased by Set, who intends to stop Horus, the new king, from being born. Isis then speaks to Sadie, telling her that she needs to crown Horus to stop him. But then Sadie is pulled back by Iskandar. Iskandar tells Sadie all about the power of the gods and magicians, as well as how gods came to use humans as hosts and why. He says that Carter will need Sadie's guidance when the time comes, and for Sadie, she must listen to Zia to improve. Sadly, their time comes to a a close very quickly. Iskandar not having any more time to share with Sadie. He boops her on the nose and sends her into a sleep. And that is the overview for chapter 15. And when I say so much happens, I mean so much happens. And I... Bring it up once again. I like, goddamn love this book. We're getting so much information. This is the whole thing. This is so so often the things that I complain about for Percy Jackson and Heroes of Olympus, and even Charles or Apollo sometimes. It's just the fact that. I don't know if it is just to do with Greek mythology and Roman mythology or something, but like you never get told the full story, but here at least you do. Like we're loving the Iskandar being the wise old man figure, especially considering he's the wise old man figure who provides relevant and important information. Chiron could never. Um, as well as... No, I think Chiron's the... Who out, I don't know who it is for Magnus Chase. I don't think they have a wise old figure in Magnus Chase. Chiron is basically the only wise old figure besides Iskandar and Chiron sucks. So, you know. And, and really, there wasn't much competition for Iskandar because the only other person is Chiron and Chiron is an idiot anyway I've got to say I also find it hilarious how how much kind of more realistic and just how much better the explanation for why the gods are kind of incestuous and also just kind of weird about that with their habits and their relationships and the explanation is basically like well they have hosts like they use host bodies to be in the mortal realm And sometimes when they were in different hosts, those hosts had different relationships to each other. So sometimes they were in the host bodies of a family, so of siblings. Sometimes they were in the host bodies of a married couple. Um, And I thought it was just a really interesting explanation. Don't know if it's realistic to, you know, pathology, but, like, I thought it was... I thought it was pretty cool. So I thought it was a great explanation for it. Um, Other than... (laughs) Things like the justification as well um, that we get in Percy Jackson of like why other cabins can date each other. It's like, oh, it's because the godly DNA technically isn't real DNA, so it's not incest. And I'm like, "Eh, that's a little bit of a flimsy reasoning there, friend. (laughs) But, um, you know, whatever. Um, I just thought it was really funny. (laughs) Um, Also just to kind of, so just to kind of finish up this feedback section for this. I have some thoughts and feelings about the whole Sadie and Carter conflict. Now, I put on my story, so obviously last week's, uh, with the episode with Katie, which is a great episode, by the way. If you haven't listened to it yet, go check it out. Um, let me go into it. But some people had some really great responses to the question um, for what do you think of the sibling dynamic of the Canes? And every single person had, like, the best response. Like, I really like how it shows their evolution as siblings because you're seeing the conflict between them and how difficult their relationship is to begin with like I, I responded to one of these comments basically being like completely agree with what they were saying which is from podcaster of Poseidon which is if you like another Percy Jackson podcast go check them out um, like they have their whole back and forth narrations it's a stronger sibling banter but in the actual narrative of the first book you don't really have much of a sibling dynamic um, they haven't spent that much time together to develop that sibling bond To which I went, yeah, I completely agree. We're seeing the sort of building blocks of where this could lead and see the results in later books. Like the relationship between them is so complicated and so complex because they don't have a relationship. So you're seeing these conflicts here of like Sadie being frustrated that Carter was angry at her for her being angry at him for being able to travel the world and all these sort of things. But I'm going to get into that later because I've got a whole section for the life experiences part, which is going to be really interesting to get to. But um, I just really love that we're kind of continuing this narrative, because it makes the relationship feel so much more real and tangible, um, and I just love that. But let's move on to the next chapter, which is Chapter 16, How Zia Lost Her Eyebrows. Uh, Which, by the way, great chapter title. (laughs) Um, And here is the overview for Chapter 16. Waking up with a nice bucket of water dumped on you isn't a fun way to start a test day that could end in death. Sadie follows Zia to meet Carter, where the two of them are given a matte tongue tattoo. That was a that was a lot of teas. Um, to help with their magic and it tastes awful. After some scribe magic by writing things into reality, Sadie accidentally burns Zia's eyebrows. And after doing so, the siblings are sent to duel each other. They're drained easily whilst using magic, drawing from their own magical reserves. And that's when Sadie realises that Zia is testing them. Zia thinks they're hosting gods and wants to see if they're dangerous. So Sadie shows her just how dangerous she is. Sadie, honey, that was not a... That was not... That wasn't her asking... That wasn't a competition to show. Like, don't stop. <laughs> she summons a giant cat at Zia, but he goes after Carter instead. Thankfully, he summons a giant falcon avatar that protects him. Tragedy strikes after this, though. Iskandar is dead, and Desjardins is to be the new chief. And he'll want them dead. Because they are... Hosting gods Zia gives them a head start, but Sadie knows if they meet again She won't be on their side Dun 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 (laughs) Oh, I love this the drama is ramping up and what was it? So we are 200 pages in we've got the demon days situation occurring Um, like start this is the first day of the demon days uh we've got the insight and history of what happened with the gods and their relationship and what's occurring we've got the reference to the fact that the gods are there are gods hosting themselves within Carter and Sadie uh which is why their magic is strong we're learning about their history we're moving forward the plot the plot is moving forward and i'm loving every second of it um but um yeah two pages in on the lost hero I, I think we'd just left camp halfblood <laughs> um I know I rag on it too much. Sorry, I'll stop. Um, no, I won't. That's a lie. Um, so the feedback for this chapter. Before we go into the main things, surprise, surprise! I want to talk about the magic system <laughs> because uh, it is so insanely intricate that I'm absolutely in love. But what I really love about this is that we are learn, and this is especially considering that so I've been reading Ursula K. Le Guin's series, Tales of Earthsea, which is oh, a fantastic series really good if you want to have if you like sort of epic like fantasy but not the depth of it like if you don't want to read like eight 800 page fantasy novel Ursula Le Guin is definitely for you because like the audiobooks like the longest one of the audiobooks is, is like six hours um so they're really good small bites of fantasy um that you can really enjoy Um, And their whole thing is like the power of names is like a huge thing in that universe, which is very similar to what we're seeing here in the King Chronicles. Like words are the most important thing of magic because they are the language of magic. Words are how you perform magic. You speak it and it shall be, um, which is why they need the mutt tattoo because it helps you speak magic clearer. Um, And it's just really interesting. We have this whole scene of like Carter... Writing a hieroglyph or writing the image of a bird on a scribe, which is just magic paper, basically, and it brings the bird to life because the word for bird is the magic. Um I don't know it was just it was just really fascinating. Uh, like I love these different types of magic systems. I love that words are shown at, as a level of importance, and again, it could be just tied to the fact that I am really loving reading Ursula Le Guin's work. But I just like that that was that was involved here. So I'm intrigued if that's going to be a thing that um, Rick Rowden kind of got inspiration from, because that's like a huge part of her series. Um, But who knows? Um, As a whole, I'm just loving how much we're learning about uh, in this series, especially with the magic and how everything works. I just I just really love it. But um, let's move into the main two topics of conversation for this episode. And the first one is, life experiences which is mainly in relation to Sadie now if you all listened to last week's episode with Katie you'll have heard our discussions about Carter's personal experience and personal grievances against Sadie's life um, which are all completely valid and how I've kind of had a little bit of an issue with Sadie's ignorance towards Carter um, and like the fact that she is the one who's more No, bel- bel- oh, I can't think of the word um belligerent something like that she's basically being it's ignorant and she's being really crass about it but she's being and really insulting like she kind of won't get off his back even though everything that happened about the fact that she was not with her dad isn't his fault she treats him like it is um but this whole section so there's this whole multiple paragraph section where she goes into her frustrations about basically saying oh i can't believe carter was saying i've got it easy like does he even know what's going on like he got to travel the world with dad um so it shows her level of of ignorance and she says all these things like he got to travel the world with dad do you know how different difficult it was for me staying in one place and then literally immediately going after like yeah i had friends like liz and was it liz and emma i don't even remember now um um But, like, if I have to stay in one place, so if I mess up with one thing, no one will ever forget it. Which, like, as a teenager, I know that's a big thing, but I was reading that, and I'm... Because, obviously, we know what's gone in Carter's head, the first thing that I thought when that came up was, like... So, literally, the only reason why you're jealous of Carter is because he doesn't have to worry about being embarrassed and having people remember that embarrassment. That's literally the reason why... (laughs) Um, but then it does go a little bit deeper. Um, and this is, so this is where I'm going to be correcting myself. So I know that I've been calling Sadie white passing for a long period of time, which admittedly, she would still probably be considered white passing, but we learn in this huge section. Um, let me get it up actually, because it's really important to see this because it was, I was just, oh, hold on, where is it? Da-da-da-da-da. Okay so this is the whole thing um this is the section if carter made a social faux pas or met people he didn't like he could just move on i had to stay put i couldn't answer simple questions like where are your parents or what does your family do or even where are you from without exposing just how odd my situation was i was always the different girl the mixed race girl the American who was an American, the girl whose mother had died, the girl with the absent father, the girl who made trouble in class, the girl who couldn't concentrate on her lessons. After a while, one learns that blending in simply doesn't work. But this is the thing that I want to focus on, that where are you from? I was always the different girl, the mixed race girl. Because I know I've been calling Sadie white passing, which, again, like I said, still technically accurate because a lot of people also don't seem to recognize the fact that she is mixed race as well in some cases or not even that she's mixed race because from how it's described she is mixed race presenting but when it comes to her family because her family are dark skinned and she's much lighter skinned that is where the kind of situation happens of like people not recognizing her as being part of that family because they look very different from each other this is why, and this is why I'm, I've mentioned this before, that I'm disappointed with Rick in how, well it's both Rick and Viri, so I, I love Viri's work, great work that she's done, um, but her art of Sadie is incredibly inaccurate because she draws Sadie as a blonde white girl. Which firstly, Sadie isn't blonde, she has caramel coloured hair, it's the first thing that she's described having with a streak in it. But we see here that she is described, like she appears mixed gra- mixed race enough that people ask her where she's from. And we all know that is a passive aggressive racist thing to say to someone who is of a different ethnicity that isn't white. So people are asking Sadie, where is she from? Which means that she is not actually Looking like a white person, and this is the whole thing. And I was wrong immediately saying that as well. But like, she is mixed race presenting enough for people to ask where she is from. And the fact that nearly all the art, except for what a few people as well. Um, hold on, let me recommend so Karen de la Vega, I've mentioned quite a few times. Um, who was the other one? There's another one that I know who's very good uh what is that thing um so pass pass it aya on instagram as well um has done great artwork for sadie um of showing her as being mixed race presenting um and it's just it's really disappointing to see obviously the main official art of where it looks like sadie is white yeah she looks more like her mother but she still looks mixed race (laughs) like it's in the text and i do know that later on rick does forget this especially in the demigods and magicians thing but that's a conversation for another day and from someone who's not as pale as me um i would like to see if i can find someone to bring on to the show to talk about these things because obviously again i'm talking from a white person's perspective which isn't the most accurate because i don't know these things but um it's just something I noticed and I was the same. Like I saw the Viria art and it seemed kind of accurate to me um, because that's how I've ended up seeing her as. Whereas it's not remotely true. I should be thinking of her the way in which Parasit Aya and Karen De La Vega have drawn her because that is the correct way. Um, I just find it hilarious that Rick managed to get <laughs> artwork approved for Sadie that looks nothing like how he's described her anyway moving on um so what's the thing I want to go into though is that I find it interesting that Sadie knows the struggles of racism and how because she's stuck in one place um if she messes up it's remembered um she's the different one the mixed race girl with a dead mum and an absent father so she stands out just even as a whole like even if she wasn't trying to stand out all these things and the fact that she's mixed race and all these sort of things and even though london is very much a sort of a very diverse place it is also depending on where you are and especially with the fact that she's seemingly living in quite a white affluent area i'd assume based on her grandparents she could have also still ended up being like one of the few only people of color in her school um which would have led to more issues like Again, she's the different one. As she says, the mixed race girl, the dead mum and absent father. That is going to make her stand out. So she kind of goes with that. She stands out as much as possible. Um, But it shows an interesting contrast to what we've learned about Carter, who being dark skinned, stands out automatically and not in a good way. So has to try and blend in through other means or at least make himself see more. uh, What's the word? Um, oh, I can't think of the right word. There is a specific word. Trying to make himself look, I guess, trying to make himself look less threatening. Um, like he wears things that kind of, Like he wears these professional-looking clothes. Like he where, he, he looks like As descri- uh, as Sadie described him, like a professor. Like he looks like an intelligent, grown man when he's only fourteen. Um, and probably has had to look that way for a long period of time to basically not be deemed as a threat inherently because of his skin color. Um, if he's dressing smartly, if he's dressing properly, if he's standing in a quote unquote correct way, hopefully he'll be deemed less of a threat. Um, it's, it's bollocks that he has to, but that's very much, that's the very different things in the way in which they are. Um, cause the whole thing based on like the whole colorism aspect as well which um with Sadie being light skinned and Carter being dark skinned it's interesting how different they've had to go about their lives like Sadie had even though she's had to have that whole thing of like standing out and being different she was able to lean into that more and have the benefit in a sense of going full force with standing out as much as possible, wearing the combat boots, wearing the streaks in her hair, being loud, being brash, all these sort of things. Whereas Carter doesn't have that luxury, because if he does that, that is more of a problem. Um, like I talked earlier about Sadie's seemingly ignorance on racial profiling, but as we see here, she knows it's a thing, and that it happens because she's experienced it herself. But her ignorance then seems to stem within sort of colorism, in a sense because she doesn't seem to recognize how much harder it must be for Carter. She talks about how you know it's such a benefit to be able to move around all the time, but she doesn't think about, firstly, the struggles of that as a whole, but also the fact that even if he is moving around all the time, more often than not, he's probably facing the same same racism wherever he goes, no matter where it is that he is, and no matter how long he's there for. Because um, I think we get a scene, I don't know if it's in this book or in another, where like a police officer immediately sees Carter in an airport and assumes he's up to no good and comes towards them just seeing Carter, and Carter mentions that this isn't the first time. So, like, no matter where, no matter how long, no matter where he is, these things happen consistently. So it's not that he gets to leave these embarrassment or these terrible things behind because they're everywhere for him so somehow that's the, that's really even worse because he can't escape that but Sadie doesn't see it that way she sees the fact that he's moving around a lot as a benefit because it means he doesn't have to see these things on a regular basis but this is where communication needs to happen people communication I know your children but communication is still a big important thing especially considering that you two are the only in your family, you need each other. So you need to communicate about these things. Anyway, I'll stop going on this tangent now <laughs> and go into the magic system. Now I want to do a little plug here because um, I'm not going to talk too much about the magic system here because you can learn more about this in my collab with unclaimed demigod which is now up on youtube for more detailed notes and discussions of the magic system both the kane chronicles one but also the percy jackson one as well that was a really fun collaboration by the way so please actually do check it out because i love doing it but for the little bit what i'm loving about what we're learning here is that there is a level of nuance to how things work in the kane chronicles and its magic system because Gods must have hosts to stay in the mortal plane. They can use like other powerful things, like images. Um, no, they can use other powerful images and things like statues, amulets, etc. to host in. But using a mortal host, especially a magician or one with the blood of the pharaoh, gives them more power. Gives them more power. Gods need humanity because humanity have creativity which allows them to change history instead of repeat it like the gods do. And I just thought that was a really interesting thing. Like The reason why the gods need humanity is because they need them for their own gain. Because gods, in a sense, are doomed to repeat everything that happens because they can't actually change history. But by having a human host and being within that human body, they can literally influence history because... Humanity are the ones who change history. The issue is their power is sometimes too great and their want to change history and their want to use their power within this mortal body can sometimes quite literally burn up their hosts. Um, Only those who had the strength to withstand them more often were the blood of the pharaohs, which is who Carter and Sadie are connected to through their families. Specifically two lines of blood of the pharaohs which makes them even more powerful and even more capable of hosting gods, which, as we find out, is exactly what they're doing. But they don't know who they're hosting. They don't know how it's happened. And that's what we're going to be finding out later. Um, Also, fun fact, we also find out that magicians have different kinds of magic. So combat, divination, elemental, animal uh, communication, amulet charming, all these sort of things. Very, very fascinating stuff. Um, and I'm just, I'm really, really loving all these sort of things. We're just, we're learning so much about what's going on in, in the series. And I just, I don't know, I just really appreciate that we're getting it. Um, but I think that's just kind of all we have for today. I can't think of anything else to, to bring up, if I'm honest. So, um, what I am going to do is, uh, finish up here um so um yeah let's go into the thing that you are all waiting for which is the question of the episode so this week's question is when you learnt that the canes were hosting gods were you surprised because um, i admit when i first read the books i was kind of surprised i was not expecting that i had a feeling maybe there'd be something there but um i thought it'd be more like when i was reading them i didn't think they were hosting them without knowing i thought they were going to go forward and offer themselves as hosts to the gods, like within the book to help defeat Set. I thought that's where it was going to be leading to. Like the gods are speaking to them saying, look, you need our help, but not actually within them at the time. So I remember being really surprised the first time I read this series. Obviously I I know this is happening now because (laughs) I know the books, um, but yeah, first time I was definitely surprised. So I'm intrigued. So yeah, that'll be going up on our social media. So let me know your thoughts. Um, and before I go um, I'm going to do a proper announcement in next week's episode but keep an eye out on all the Percy Jackson podcast pages currently because uh, we have something very exciting that we will be announcing um, probably in early December for something that's going to be happening near the end of December or at least sort of mid to end point of December Um, it is uh, it's going to be exciting um, and it's going to be for a good cause so uh, keep an eye out for that uh, both here on the show and on the social medias of the post Jackson podcasters. Um, it's not going to be all of us because I think it's only the ones that I'm connected to, but um, hopefully you guys should all be following them anyway. So uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that. But uh, yeah, thank you all for joining me for these chapters. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our universe journey. To plug me, you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audioboom, Stitcher, Deezer, and basically wherever you listen to podcasts. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find The Best Damn Camp on various social media, at Best Damn Camp Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to email me with your thoughts, you can email thebestdamcamp at hotmail.com or if you want, you can support this podcast by becoming a podcast patron over at patreon.com slash a healthy dose of which is linked in the episode show notes for things like early access and other exclusive perks to all of my podcasts. Want more post-jax and content? Check me out on YouTube at a healthy dose of fry or if you want to support my own writing, which is starting to publish next year, drop me a follow at a dose of fry on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. Again, thank you all for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your own hunter. And I'll see you just speak to you guys next time. Bye.